1: Saturday mornings come around again and it's time for Let's Talk Gardening.
0: And greetings gardening friends on this gorgeous rainy morning. And today's gardening program is sponsored by Safety Bay Settlements, settling and transferring properties across WA since 1977. I have Linda Michener from Green Life Co. in the station with me this morning in the studio. Uh, Faye will be in later this morning. Good morning. How are you? Yeah,
2: I'm very well, thank you.
0: Great. Yeah. We've got the team here. Bev's ready on the phones, 94841927. John's waiting for us to throw some some curly questions at him as well. You can email us if you like by going to gardening at au. We've got lots of emails to get through this morning big shout out to alan simons uh this morning for his breakfast program always clever always witty alan simons supported really well by rob miller they're a great team and uh, not to forget jim kreinen with the cycling program and jim will be back next Saturday morning. So the calendar says it's nearly winter. What do you say, Linda Michener?
2: Well, I, I think <laughs> it certainly feels like winter, doesn't yeah, it? It's yeah. lovely. Uh, what oh. an amazing lot of rain we've had yes. just overnight. Yes, I'll be looking forward
0: to that reading when we can get it of yeah. how much rain has fallen. Yeah, there certainly was started, a lot up our way. Yeah, started around 8-ish, 8 o'clock. Mm. Yeah, because you're up in Chidlow.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So,
0: you, and so you had a real... Certainly did. I thought the house was going to wash
2: down the hill at one stage. (laughs) (laughs) But isn't it awesome? Like it's so good. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Except when you, if as long as your power doesn't uh, short circuit like mine did, and it happens every time we have (laughs) a rain. But for the very first time after three and a half years, found the problem. So I've had an interesting morning where I had to change the places where I slept last night because we didn't have power, and uh, you know, just to get here. In a time frame this morning, the garage doors don't open and there's a lot of issues and I'm running up and down the stairs (laughs) this morning trying to get dressed and showered and all that sort of thing. However, we've tracked the little culprit down. Finally, we know where things are tripping and there's something outside and even the electricians couldn't find it, so... Very, very happy about that one because it's so inconvenient, isn't it? The fridges have been off, the freezers have been off, everything. So it's about 9 o'clock last night.
2: And, and there's nothing worse than an intermittent fault too because yeah. you call an electrician and it's very difficult it's, for them to track and it down. that's what
0: they said. That's what they yeah. said and we have tried. And I thought, oh, God, we can't keep going on like this. And it always happens the Friday night before the gardening show, <laughs> always. So anyway, uh, life life happens. Now, we're also chatting this morning at 20 past 8 with Dan Dowsett from Thorny Corner Honey, Dan's the Bee Man, we call him, Dan the Bee Man. Awesome. And uh, we're talking about beekeeping. We've got a few questions for him this morning. And it's harking back to, of course, May 20th was World Bee Day and what that actually meant. And Faye will be joining us around nine-ish, uh, having a little bit of a bubby us this morning. She's been out kicking up her heels all night, if you don't mind. <laughs> uh, that's fine. Yeah, exactly. Why not? And on her little subject list, we've got slugs, snails... And puppy dog tails, so <laughs> you might know more about that than what I know,
2: or is that her just like being oh. nursery rhyming <laughs> a running sheet for us? I think she took me to literally because we were discussing uh, via email, you know, gardening topics for this time of year. Yeah. And obviously, the minute there's a bit of moisture in the in the in the atmosphere and in our gardens, that's when those little slimy creatures yeah appear. So yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah okay, and uh, no, well, I have slugs, I have snails, I have Caterpillars, I have grasshop I have the lot going yeah. on in my garden. Yeah. There's a all chomping chomping away chowing down uh, on everything and as you know the rose roses have been an issue and still you know fall out over that with the chili thrip. so we might touch on that for a little bit today Uh, but hopefully we're turning a corner with this type of weather cooler temperatures
2: the seasonal conditions for chili thrip are changing so, so they won't be such an issue for now Uh, Be interesting to see what happens. Spring, Spring. Mm -hmm. that's yeah, that's the thing. But we'll all have to be onto that early and do the treatments. That's that's the plan, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the plan.
0: So tell me what's happening at Green Life Soil Co. How are things
2: Well, ticking along quite yeah. nicely. I mean, obviously, it's a fabulous time if people are interested in, well, growing just about anything really, but it's a good time for veggies because it's, it's yeah. easy without the stress of the, the heat and, and things in the summer. But even uh, if you're planting ornamental gardens, autumn and winter in Perth is a great time because things can get established before the next real burst of summer comes. Yes, uh, And you'll find that things Things will be healthier and just yeah a lot less stressed. able to cope Correct. yeah with yeah. our harsh summers yeah, yeah it, exactly. it is and sometimes people think oh it's winter it's not a good time to garden but here mm. in Perth our winters are very, very mild
0: very mild mm. yeah. yeah no we to- don't yeah you can walk around in a t-shirt in our winters for heaven's sake where else in the world can you do that <laughs> yeah True. just yes. with a thin t-shirt on so no so uh, last time I saw you was the sixth of March. Wow! So thank you for filling in and oh, thank no you for problem. tracking down. As you were saying, it takes you about an hour to get here in the morning. That's um, dedication, so we appreciate <laughs> that. So, and we spoke with your hubby last week as well. Yeah. We had him on air, Paul. Mm. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So, and uh, are you a winter or summer girl?
3: Oh.
2: It's a tricky one, isn't it? I really don't like the cold, especially getting out of bed on a cold winter morning is <laughs> is, is really impossible. I'm I'm not um, naturally a kind of a morning person anyway, so when it's it's cold to get out of bed, it's it's even tougher. Harder, like to, yeah. yeah. But then yeah. again, who likes it when it's forty degrees? Nobody no, likes that either. Well, so.
0: <laughs> well, some people do. In that I am I'm mystified, but uh, no, I, I somewhere in the middle.
2: Yeah, exactly. Works just nicely
0: nicely yeah. for me.
2: Are you a beehive lady? Do you have beehives? No, we don't actually it's one of those things that I'd be kind of quite curious about but it's just finding I suppose the time and uh, yeah one yeah, more thing isn't yeah, it exactly yeah. we did have someone who had a hive on our property because we do have uh, quite a lot of um, native trees so we've got the Mary and the Jarrah and Wondoo that flower and uh, we had someone who had a hive on our property for a while yeah which was kind of nice because um, we got the occasional jar of honey out of it ah. so that was very very lovely So yeah, it was quite good because when she did come along to um, do the hives, she brought a spare suit and my son was quite a bit younger at the time and he got all suited up and got to have a really good look inside a beehive. Experience of it, yeah. It was awesome. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
0: no, very interesting. So no, we look forward to chatting with Dan shortly. And I also have my $75 gift voucher to give away compliments of Kerry Spriggs at Bigger Trees. So I think we'll do that in the first hour as well. Uh, Trish from Bakers Hill rang in to say she had 33 mils of rain. That's huge. And uh, Jim Crinan would like to know, when is the best time to prune hydrangeas? He's our cycling man, forward slash music man on the station now. Jim ah. Crinan, best time to prune your hydrange.
2: Well, good question because I don't know. <laughs> 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 John. Uh yeah, yeah, hydrangeas are one of those plants. My my mother definitely used to grow them. They're a little bit tender for where I live, uh, uh, I would imagine. They, yeah. Um they definitely like a sheltered and protected spot. And I mean the general rule with things is when they've finished flowering. So mm. so that mm. would be, I guess, the, the you know, the general rule is once they've put on their beautiful display and they are beautiful, there's mm. no question. Mm. Uh just give them a, a you know, a light prune back to to encourage that bushiness and more flower heads Mm. for the next season. Mm. And did
0: you make it down to the Perth Garden
2: Festival? Yeah, I did actually. Uh, Did you just exhibit there? Not this year. Uh, Green Life has for probably at least 13 years. uh, And we did plan on doing the 2021, which of course, because of the whole COVID uh, thing, didn't happen last year. Uh, But this year it was just all a bit... Uh, Too hard, really. (laughs) There's lots of different reasons why. But we did go along. I did a talk on the Sunday and uh, we went along and had a a look around. And I must say, I I must congratulate the organisers because it was a pretty gutsy thing to be doing in this environment. Yeah. And it was a change of venue. Yes. And uh, it was... And we had it delayed a week. Absolutely. They had to Mm. sort of make that call very on the fly yeah. yeah so i do congratulate them because i think everybody who went along uh, had a good time and there was certainly plenty of people so Purple of perth were appreciative of the opportunity to get out and they were blessed with good weather yeah. for the weekend so yes. yeah yeah no it was and good I, and i think the vendors did well well, that's. I spoke to a few of them, and I They're think very happy. Yeah, they were very happy. Yeah, because I think people have been locked up. Well, they, we haven't They're really. They were throwing we, the money <laughs> around left, right, and centre. There was about
0: forty-one yeah, thousand attended, which numbers. is a good number. Hmm. Yeah, so it's promising for things to come, and we need to support. You know, the industry here in Perth. If we want these types of. Uh, events to continue on, and, and we all need to support it. And uh, no, I thought it. I thought it was great. Also, yeah. I go and do my bit for the economy. Don't that's you worry exactly about that? What I, I do, do too. that each week. Actually, <laughs> I I need an intervention. I think Faye does too. I don't know w- which one of us is worse. <laughs> she sends me pictures of what damage she's done, and I don't send her pictures of my damage. I let her think it's all her. She's the one that's out of control. But oh my goodness, I've had an interesting week as well. So what what inspires you at this time? of the year in your garden
2: well it's really uh it is lovely to go out in the when when maybe it's a bit more sunny than today but it is lovely to go out under the milder conditions and uh, it's it's very good to keep on top of weeds in your garden areas because now's the time that they're all starting to to pop up and uh uh it's not so good to weed when in the soil is really wet. But uh, once you can have a couple of fine days and the soil's a little bit drier, it's they, fabulous. To they get them out. out to get yeah. them out, yeah. Yeah, don't let them get too big. While, while they're younger and their root systems are smaller, Not established, easier to Much remove. easier to get out. Even, and even if you're just literally hoeing them through the soil, it's also a little easier. So I'm trying to do that in certain areas of my garden. To yeah, do you like pick a control. spot and say, okay, uh, yeah. Otherwise it gets quite overwhelming. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. But if you can do a small area, you know, every couple of days, you you do surprisingly get get on top of it pretty quickly. yeah. Yeah. And every time you do it, there's less that come back. There's a section of my garden uh, that last year had quite a bad oxalis clover kind of problem coming up. Mm. And there was one section that I got out and I I hoed it all back in because they, they grow from those underground sort of bulblet things. And this year it's coming back again, but there's a noticeable Line almost from the area that I did last year to where I didn't so get you're to finish. Weak in the- oh, way less like. Mm. Under 10%. So that's up. fantastic. So it's not a pointless task. Definitely yeah, not. It's not a mindless task. No. Yeah, just
0: something that we need to think about. And it can be therapeutic. You can you can solve all the world's problems
2: <laughs> yes. whilst you're weaving. I know I do. Yeah. <laughs> and, and again, don't make a big deal of it that you feel, oh, I've got to get out there all day and we no. you just pop out for 20 minutes. Yeah, and a exactly. And, yeah. That's the key, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, definitely. don't make it
0: a chore. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think if you can have a little tinkle in your garden each day, anywhere from five to 20 minutes, you're going to notice the improvement because Absolutely. it's really interesting uh being a working girl i i admit uh, I, i'm not always in my garden i don't always see What's going on in my garden? I do
2: get surprises, you yeah, do.
0: and that's because I've turned my back—not yeah. uh, deliberately, but I have—and
2: things change quickly. They, they do. And yeah. if you're out there on a regular basis, even just going out with a cup of tea and wandering through, exactly, uh, you notice the little things, like when there are things that are starting to get attacked by pests, uh, mm. or you're starting to get a new sort of—I don't know—disease or something. Mm. And if you can see it and act on it quickly, then oftentimes you'll you'll deal with it before it becomes a disaster that's taking over so yeah yeah Yeah, exactly so
0: at this time of the year what pest
2: wise should we be thinking about and anticipating and well definitely the slugs and snails and they are usually active at night so if you're Mm. putting if things are getting damaged and you're noticing them but you can't see any pests and bugs I always encourage people to just go out in the evening with a torch Mm. and just have a good look around and it's amazing what you can find the little critters that come out at night time and it's important to know what you're dealing with before you start looking at treatment options. Throwing things around. Absolutely yeah because it's very different what you use for one pest to another so Mm. if you can uh, find out who the culprit is then you can come up with an appropriate treatment. What do you recommend for slugs? Well Oh,
0: slugs! It yeah, they're pretty gross, aren't they? <laughs> they really are. I've I, mine. I've seen, I I notice them. They go up the walls and things. And oh, how nice! Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I pick them off and things, but uh, and throw them over the back fence. And you think to myself, well, hopefully the birds will get them, but I reckon they just come back into my garden. Yeah, territorial. They yeah. just kind of find. Yeah, their way absolutely. Back. <laughs> they know where
2: I live. Yeah. So, well, the most. Uh, Eco-friendly way, I suppose, is probably to hand pick them, but I certainly can't touch a slug, not without gloves on there. Oh, revolting. can't you? I oh, do no, it, yeah. No, not without <laughs> I'm <gloves>. in there. <laughs> <laughs> I'd take my hat off to you. Probably the old traps, beer traps, work really, really well. Uh, they are attracted. There's something in the yeast in the beer that slugs and snails are attracted to, and I believe it, it's slaters also it seem to find their way in. So you can make those yourself. I mean, you can buy commercial traps yeah yeah yeah, that nice and neat anyway but you can make your own out of a plastic um like a margarine container or a small yogurt container or something and basically you uh dig a small impression in the soil because you want to put the container so it's down and the lip of it is at ground level because the slugs and snails are less likely to kind of crawl up and then down but if it's at ground level they'll come along they'll investigate and they'll fall in Mm. and they drown happy you would assume in the Mm. beer Mm. um and so that works quite well without obviously uh, using anything. any chemicals yeah yeah i I was doing that last year,
0: yeah. um but I have puppy, and I noticed her sloping on the beer so I've had to rule that out but I have bought a couple of those beer traps so yeah. that might be a way around that but yeah she was actually going and having a herself... salt And enjoying it. You'll yeah mm-hmm.
2: I know okay. <laughs> well if you if you, the traps work well because they have a lid but if you keep the lid of your margarine container you can use that the same way and well, you just, you just, cut just small... poke some little holes. Yeah cut a okay. little kind of out of the edges so it, obviously snail size so they can get, get through. Get creative. Mm-hmm. Okay no thank you for that. Nine
0: four eight four one nine two seven. In a moment we will be chatting with Dan Dowsett, the b man.
1: 23
0: minutes after eight, you are with Ray Burton and Linda Michener in the studio this morning talking gardening. Now, as promised, we have Dan Dowsett from the Thorny Corner Honey Online. Good day, Dan. It's been a while. How are you?
4: Good morning. Uh, Ray, how are you doing?
0: Good. Lots of lots of rain over your way?
4: Yes, in Bentley. It's just starting to team down.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, we're in Bentley too, as you most likely know. So uh, we're just looking out the window. We're just turning and having a look. <laughs> it does yet. look looks quite dark yeah. out there, actually. Exactly. Yes. Now, last time I caught up with you, I remember I went to an open garden last year in Wanneroo and you were there with all your honey and I bought some honey. I can remember that. You probably don't remember, but I remember you.
4: I remember you, <laughs>
0: particularly.
4: She's pretty unforgettable,
0: really. Oh, dear. And so we're, let's, let's start with beekeeping. Look, it was World Bee Day, May 20th. What, what did that mean? What was so important about that?
4: Significant for the whole world yeah. to be reminded that the bees are losing their habitat owing to climate change and population expansion. So we decided it's a good idea to be aware of what's going. Uh, Usually the month of May has been declared as bee month, but uh, one particular day, bee day. But uh, we celebrated here among all the uh, beekeepers. We've got nearly 2,000 registered beekeepers in the suburbs and uh, Geraldton down to Albany. So there's quite a few guys and girls out there, lots of ladies and um, some teenagers taking it up. So it's very very exciting and everyone gets um, enthusiastic about keeping bees.
0: Yeah. Do you need a licence, Dan, if you live in... You certainly
4: do. Mm. Yes, you do. You need to register with the Department of Agriculture. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, then we encourage everyone to join up to the WA APRIS Society. Which is not an expensive thing to do, but we have some wonderful training courses for yeah. new beginners. So that's the important thing because the B topic is huge. It's a huge subject.
0: It is. It is. G- Sorry, carry on.
4: Go ahead. I was going to say if you'd like me to tell you a little bit about the life cycle. I, can, I, I uh,
0: am interested in the life cycle. Go please. with that, shall yes, I? Yes, please. <laughs>
4: Give, give me a few minutes to launch into that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's let's assume the queen bee is in the hive doing everything correctly and she's laid a new egg. Now, this egg hatches into a larva, into a solution of bee milk at the bottom of a hexagonal wax cell. And in three days, out it comes from the egg into a little tiny larva. It's then fed minute amounts of bee milk from the nursery bees. Now, the nursery bees are the youngest bees in the hive, and they produce bee milk from their throat, from a special Mm. gland in their throat called the hypopharyngeal gland. Now, as time goes by, the larva grows, and it's fed a combination of bee milk and pollen mixed together. This is called bee bread. And this little larva gets fatter and fatter very, very quickly, and in the ninth day, It stops right there and its cell is capped with wax by the nursery bees. Now this larva will pupate until the 21st day when it emerges and immediately it becomes a cleaner bee. Using its tongue it starts to clean all the cells around itself. Now this becomes problematical because you know when you're cleaning out um, cells the tongue gets a bit dirty. So on the front legs of the worker bee, this little nursery bee, she has a hook at the elbow on the front legs, and behind the hook, it's a horny sort of hook, behind the hook are all these bristly hairs. So she stretches her tongue right out, and then she brings her elbow in and runs the tongue through the bristles to clean her tongue.
0: Uh-huh.
4: Isn't that fascinating?
0: Well, it is, and, and when are you the see bees do
4: that you see this big, long, pink thing sticking out?
0: Oh, yeah. Are they primarily male or female?
4: All these are girls. All girls. All girls, and the queen is a girl. The only one that's different is a drone bee. That's Uh the boy. Mm. And they just smoke cigars and play cards. Exactly, yeah. I figured. Mm. (laughs) Now the bee in the nursery learns all the roles required of it in conjunction with its own instinct and the pheromone messages passed around by the queen bee. And this is a very important function. And on the front of the bee you see those big feelers sticking up in the air they are their smelling machinery. They're, uh, they're able to smell things very, very accurately. So the queen bee moves around in her brood nest and passing on the information about what's happening and what needs to be done. And so this is very, very important. And during the 45 days of the life cycle of the bee, they only live for 45 days. Uh,
0: yeah, I've always wanted 20, to know that,
4: okay. 25 major things they have to learn And they have to learn themselves how to feed worker bees and the babies and cap and make wax and all that sort of thing. And finally they end up as a forager bee out in someone's garden collecting nectar, pollen, water and propolis. And they end up their lives generally back inside the hive as a tough bee guarding the city. Uh, to keep any intruders out, and they're looking after fifty to eighty thousand bees inside the city of bees
1: hmm.
4: okay now, moving on from that, many beekeepers um, who don 't really understand or study the the bee as they should, they believe that bees will just swarm. but we have to tell you that with well managed bees in a modern beehive, they have no hmm. need to swarm in fact. They preferred to work hard to please the queen and the beekeeper and to go forward to produce large amounts of new bees and make many many frames of heavy beautiful honey. Unfortunately, modern beekeepers don't understand the animal in the bee and they mm-hmm. fail in the duty of care to ensure the bees are continuously fulfilled in their daily lives. So that when the bees are not cared for correctly, they become frustrated unfulfilled and angry yeah. and they will eventually swarm which goes against the very essence of good keeping of a good beekeeping practice yes okay yes want me to keep going with this
0: yes yes it's fascinating
4: <laughs> i love it so the the um the problem we have with many beekeepers they because they don't Understand the animal and the bee, and what the bee needs to be uh, fulfilled rather than frustrated. Frustration causes the bees not to build on the inside. It causes them to build the wrong things, and it causes them to swarm. So when they get overcrowded. Okay. So, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, so the crisis management method is a method used by a beekeeper with a lack of understanding. They wait until everything gets really difficult and then they try and open the hive and the bees want to sting them. Yeah. Whereas the, the bees that I work with, because we attend to them and we mm. operate a lovely, calm method, the bees have no interest in stinging us. Yeah. That's the beautiful thing about it.
2: So, Dan, how often do you have to attend them lovingly then?
4: Two, every two weeks.
2: Okay, right.
4: Okay. Mm. And they, the queens actually get to know you by smell. Interesting. So, my old boots, no matter how bad they smell, or my hair oil, or, or whatever is on my bee suit, doesn't matter. She's familiar with that. Okay. So, she recognises it. And then she gives the message to all the bees in the hub, don't worry about it. This is Dan the beekeeper.
2: Oh, it's him again. I Just leave him alone. Yeah.
4: She lives on and on and on, whereas all the other bees are being born working, learning, and dying at 45 days. How
0: long does she live then?
4: She lives up to between three and five years.
0: Oh, my goodness. Okay.
4: So she connects with the beekeeper given the regularity and repetition that you follow. Right. Okay. That's
2: interesting.
0: Yep. And we have a, a question that's come in uh, for ahead. you uh, from Chris. He, he, he is saying, could you please ask, Dan, if bees only seek out one type of flower or do they go to multiple types of flowers?
4: Multiple types of flowers. Mm. First thing in the morning uh, when the sun comes up, the, the bees send out a patrol of forager bees. To check what's out there, yeah. and you might find that uh, fifty bees come back from fifty different flowers, and then they have a little meeting and they share the flavour among themselves. <laughs> this is not me. This is not me talking. This is scientific fact. Is this is what just, we've studied. It's
0: just mind blowing. So yeah. they
4: have a little meeting, and then the mm. bee uh, they say that one's the best because that's the eucalyptus down at Mrs Jones's street, and that's the one we like. So then they do the waggle dance. Ah. You've heard of that, probably. We have. (laughs) They they have a little dance, and that tells the bees which direction, what direction to go to, what it tastes like, what it smells like, and that's the best one to bring back to the the gang. So then they all fly off in great squadrons flying out, and then they start bringing back the goodies like that.
2: Interesting. So it could change almost on a daily basis depending on Every what's flowering. Every day could be different, okay. yes. So
4: one tree might finish today, then the eucalyptus down another street starts up, or then the weeping bottle brushes start in another street. So
0: How, how far do they up. travel in a day?
4: Okay, they will fly in a, circle, in a circular pattern, if you like, uh, two kilometres out in one direction, then go the other way two km- kilometres that way. So north our sea... North, south, east or west, doesn't matter which way they go, they go about two kilometres in that direction.
2: Okay, and they find their way home every time.
4: They find their way home. Now on the way home, if they're feeling a bit tired and weary as they do because they're working so hard, there are bees at the entrance of the hive uh, who have a particular job uh, as an older bee and at the very end of the tail of the bee there is a sting down the bottom and at the top of the bee on the tail there's a little gland called the Nazanov gland and the Nazanov gland is exposed by the bee on the outside of the hive where she's fanning across the Nazanov gland and it produces a citrus smell and when the bee coming back tired and weary and full of goodies uh, can't, can't quite remember where to come the, the scent from the Nazanov clan on the bees on the outside of the hive guides her back to the entrance.
0: Hmm. It's just so amazing. They, they, do, they it do, do it better than we do, don't they? Really,
4: They do. Mm. I, I've met a lot of bees with more intelligence than I've got, I've got to tell yeah, you.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, seriously. And <laughs> do they change from season to season, their patterns, their working life?
4: Well, um, during the 45 days, they go through the series of about 25 major tasks. Like um, at some point, they learn how to uh, uh, get the wax from their bodies, chew it up and make the wax combs inside the hive. And then after a while, they go through that phase. And then they go into the next phase uh, where they're taking out the trash and the garbage. Well,
0: I read that on email last night because I I saw the uh, YouTube of the two bees uh, removing the lid off a bottle of Fanta.
4: Yeah, I said that to you.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was fabulous. And I, I, yes. I read when you said they actually take out the trash. It's mm. better than a lot mm. of males I know.
4: Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. If if there's a dead drone there, they have to pick it up. Three or four of them pick it up and carry that one out and put him in the weeds. You see.
2: Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that was my question? It's probably a bit macabre. <laughs> but if they, they do live forty five days and they they mm. end their time, do they you know tend to go back to the to the hive? for their final moments and then what happens to them or do they tend to just sort of end up in your garden somewhere where you find them?
4: Sometimes they do come back and then they have that ultimate heart attack from overwork in the hive and so they have to be carried out. And a lot of times they're out on the wing Mm. on the 45th day and they just boop and they stop and crash to the ground and and die quietly.
2: The cycle of life.
4: The, the queen is continually renewing. You see, that's her job to renew the brood nest with as many new bees as possible, mm. so that the old bees are dying. Say, in a in a hive of fifty thousand bees, four hundred bees are dying every day somewhere, but she's laying a thousand eggs a day in preparation to replace the other ones.
0: Wow,
4: that's a lot of eggs. It is indeed. <laughs>
0: What happens yes. when it's raining, I, I, I do notice sometimes there's bees on the ground, particularly under gum trees and things like that, uh, mm-hmm. in wet mm-hmm. weather. Is that mm-hmm. because their wings are wet? What, what's the deal?
4: Yes, yes, indeed. They, they will fly through light rain, you know, like misty rain, but they won't fly through heavy raindrops because it'll knock them to the ground. Mm. And so you'll find, if you lift up a leaf sometimes, you'll find a bee sitting under a leaf. Um, but, yeah, on, on a wet day like today, they they know two or three days ahead of time when the weather's going to change, yeah. so they then make arrangements to stay in the house and do, do other things. Do yet.
0: other housework?
4: Do the housework, yeah. Oh, my
0: goodness, it's just fascinating, <laughs> isn't it? Yes. I can see why you're so drawn on so many levels, Dan, and that's just like not even the tip of the iceberg, is it? What you've explained. Well, I, to us I
4: can to tell them. you a, a quick story now, Ray. I'll just tell you a quick story about the um, some of the history that we went through and how beekeeping per se changed the way we thought about science. For example, mm. um, in the in the year of 1660, the Dutch were experimenting with lenses for spectacles. Yeah. And they discovered it by putting these lenses together. They made a very crude but the first microscope. So uh, with that, the, the guys were putting flies underneath the microscope and beetles and things like that. And they found that they could examine these in great detail and found that they had fur and fuzzies and, and hairs and all sorts of strange things. And so uh, at this time also, the world believed that the, the big bee in a beehive was called a king bee, not the queen bee, the king bee. And so in Holland they they dissected one of these king bees and it was found that it had ovaries. Mm -hmm. So after all these hundreds of years of thinking it was one thing, it was turned over. And so this was the revolution that changed science forever, the microscope. Ah. And it was only when they brought it to the attention of the world that it was in fact a queen bee, that uh, the microscope became even more prominent. Uh,
0: it's amazing. It's amazing. Now, we have another question here for you, Dan, from Ellen. Go ahead. And he says Once the queen bee dies, how is it replaced? And that's one question. And also, a friend's hive was attacked by rogue bees from elsewhere and killed their bees. How does that happen? So, there's two questions there. Uh, the queen bee dies, how is it replaced? So, maybe we could answer that one quickly first
4: okay let's let's deal with that okay the queen bee is starting to get old and so the beekeeper is looking in the hive and where normal patterns of beautiful eggs are being laid we don't see that anymore we start to see spotty spotty patches of eggs so we this tells us that the queen is losing her power her the end of her life is getting close Mm. and so we have to replace the queen so we can go off to a a queen breeder who can sell us a brand new queen and we can take the old queen out and we can put the new queen in mm. or we can allow the bees to select one of the eggs and feed that egg royal jelly and allow that then to get large and become a new queen bee for the hive okay. and that's called super And uh, that's a frequent way that people allow their beehives to change the queen.
0: It's amazing, create their own royalty. And uh, and so the second question was a friend's hive was attacked by rogue bees uh, and it killed their bees. And how does that happen? Why does it happen?
4: Okay. Now, I've not actually had that experience Mm. of of observing that particular problem, Mm. but uh, you often find that feral bees from an old tree that's been around for a long time full of rough and ready bees Mm. will sometimes get very, very hungry because there's no food Mm. and the the hive in someone's backyard has all the goodies because the beekeeper's looking after it. And so these rogue bees or these feral bees will come in and try and bash them all up and there's a huge fight goes on. And so, um, yeah, they want to rob. And so they rob out the hive and beat up on the bees that are living there. And so the the whole hive begins to fail.
2: Gosh. That's how it works. Mm. Gosh. I it's, imagine that's pretty rare though. You hope. Is,
4: it is an unusual event, but it does happen. Right. Mm. And sometimes we get these big bull ants that turn up. And they will go into a beehive, and a bull ant can fight off five bees at once. Oh, I mean, they're, they're
0: a pretty rotten tough characters. <laughs> yeah.
4: So if you get a, a, a run of, of really big ants coming in, they can actually take take a hive apart and eat all the honey out, eat all the wax and take everything out, and eat the babies and all sorts of stuff. So you've got to be careful about how it the ants well. approach your hive.
0: Dan, mm-hmm. it's been absolutely fascinating listening to you this morning. If listeners would like to learn more, do you recommend that they become members of the Apers Society or what's the best absolutely. way to go? Okay. Absolutely,
4: absolutely. Let me just quickly say they can do a, a Google search W-A-A-S, W-A-A-P-R-IS Society, dot au, and they'll find everything they need to know.
0: Well, you've certainly taught us a lot this morning, Dan. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. We'll let you get on with your weekend and we hope to have you in the studio uh, in the very near future,
4: I'd be delighted to do that. Thank Love you. Love
0: chatting with you. Thank you so so much. Take care. You take care. You. Cheers for that. Bye. Bye for now. Okay, nine four eight four one nine two seven. Uh, I was about to say we'll be back in a moment. I've been so busy talking with Dan that I hadn't uh, loaded our next little bracket. But here we go. I've done it. Back shortly.
5: Curtain radio.
0: You're listening to Let's Talk Gardening. Special guest in the studio with me this morning, Linda Michener from Green Life Soil Co. And just off air, I was really fascinated to learn that you actually also do vegan soils.
2: Yeah, yeah, we do. Because we're talking uh, about we were we we're talking about uh, the contentious sort of discussion of, of honey. And, yeah, and how, some
0: people, some vegans won't won't uh, consume honey because yeah. they feel that you're
2: taking food from the bees. A- absolutely, it's, it comes down but to I'm, a personal standpoint on it that.
0: It does, but I'm just bl- mind blown to know that you can actually get vegan soil. Yeah,
2: well, we get requests from people that Gosh. don't want to have any animal byproducts whatsoever yeah. in the mixes because we do use obviously manures, but there's things like blood meal and feather meal that we yeah. use as yeah. uh, you know, to boost certain nutrition. Exactly. And so there are people that don't want any animal byproducts whatsoever in their soil mixes, so it's a bit trickier. We have to yeah. look at more mineral content and uh, use things like uh, lucerne meals and, and things to boost nitrogen content in the soils. Um, it's 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 slightly different in how they work. But, yeah, you get all sorts of requests and then it comes down for some people with whether or not they even want to use worm castings. So it's always a personal preference for people and they have their own belief stance on that. But yeah, it's. Uh, you've just taken me people. to a whole new level of
0: <laughs> that I didn't know existed out there. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, incredible. Yeah, it is. Okay, that's fascinating. And that fact that you've found solutions. Well, yeah, come up with an option. An um, option for mm. people. Mm. Wowee. I, I, it's just amazing. Now, I think I'll give away our $75 gift voucher from Bigger Trees. You must be a Curtain FM member not to have won a prize in the last 28 days. Now, Bigger Trees is up in Pickering Brook. They are the home of the frangipani, ornamental and fruit trees. And right now they have a very large selection of Camellia is starting to show their gorgeous winter colours over 50 different varieties in stock, well wow. worth going and having a look. and their bare rooted stock uh, deciduous ornamental and fruit trees is arriving in June, which is pretty well now. so uh, keep your, keep your antenna up for that as well if this is that's sort of interest to you. Now my question is to win a $75 voucher to spend at bigger trees, which is the fastest growing plant which is the fastest growing plant. If you'd like to give Beb a call on 94841927, uh, we could be sending you a lovely $75 gift voucher from Bigger Trees next week. Now, we're heading to Naranda saying good day to Shirley. Good morning.
6: Good morning, ladies. How are you? We're well, thank you. That's good. Um, Look, just getting back to the bees again, I couldn't help but ring about it. It's just a little thing. Um, I did hear once that people had said, leave some water out early in the morning so the bees, if they're very tired, will have a drink. And then I thought about it and I thought, well, maybe they could drown too if they were tired, you know. So have you ever heard that? I was waiting for him to maybe say something about that.
0: Well, I know that uh, you know it is good to have uh, water around our gardens uh, for uh, bees and other animals. And yeah. I, I hear people say things like leave um, something like a stick or something resting in the water on the ledge so that you know, oh. and they can they can they can climb out if they were that tired that they they were going to drown in the water. They can actually get
6: out. Mm. Yeah. Well, what a good idea. <laughs> yeah. that makes another sense, popular, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. And another
2: popular yes. one is to use something quite shallow like a saucer and mm-hmm. use some small pebbles or stones in it. So, oh, again, goodness. there's water but there's plenty of landing spots for the bees so they can land on a pebble, have a drink, and then they're not actually in the water because you do, as Ray said, need to provide something so they can get out because they will drown. Otherwise, you do see them, mm. unfortunately, sometimes.
6: Oh. Mm. Well, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> I don't think I'd be a very good beekeeper. But how fascinating is that? Just all of it.
0: And what Dan had to say, I just thought was so, it's only that, you know, just such a small uh, tip of the iceberg in what he's talking to us about. I could sit and listen to Dan for all day, hours. Mm.
6: Yeah, just, just a quick thing again as well. Can you imagine if we studied all the insects? I know. And saw what they did. I tell you what, the world would be a better Why can't we be a beehive, the big world? Exactly. Oh, yeah, exactly. that's
2: lovely. It's true.
0: Faye loves yeah. you.
6: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. Faye yeah. loves. Thank yeah.
0: you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I agree Bye. with all you say, Shirley. Yep. Take care, love. Thank Cheers Thank you very for that.
6: much. Bye.
0: And we do have a prize winner, guys. So that was a fairly easy question. We do have a prize winner. So I'll get the details up shortly. So 9484. 1927. Let's talk about a growing asparagus.
2: Yeah, it's nearly asparagus time of year when you were talking about bare-rooted and deciduous trees. It's it's all of the winter things that uh, are coming, well, will be coming uh, available soon. Uh, so yeah, asparagus usually June, July, once the crowns have died back, that's when the growers lift them and separate them and divide them. And you can buy the bare-rooted crowns to put in your garden. They'll be shooting away by spring. How long does it take for you to get an asparagus? Well, once you put in a crown, which Mm. is a part of a mature plant, Mm. you will probably be getting harvestable Spears within two years I mean you can pick the odd one in the first year but because it's not established fully if you rob every spear that that little part of the crown is trying to produce you Mm. do weaken the plant you want it to grow and mature and as it continues to grow uh, within four years you'll be you'll be harvesting heaps of asparagus from it. And the good thing about them is that once they're in your garden, they'll last for about it. 25 years. That's yeah, it. Yeah, Their yeah. lifespan so, is yep. huge. Yep. So about four years? Well, before probably you're reaching maximum, you know, oh, harvestable prob- yeah. rate. Okay, yeah. got you. You know, within a couple of years definitely you'll be enjoying the odd spear with dinner here and there, yeah, yeah, so
0: it 's something to do now for the future, and what sort of conditions does it require the well, crown they
2: 're surprisingly tough i 've seen asparagus growing on old building sites well old derelict sites, actually, where you know houses have long gone. So once they're established, they're pretty tough. But in their first year or so, they do obviously need regular water. But a good deep water once a week would be enough for them, okay. providing you keep them mulched so they, they have that you know protection. Uh, if you are putting in a new asparagus crown, I would dig through some matured compost or a little bit of well-rotted manure or something like that in the soil just to get it prepped first. And uh, you buy the crowns and they they look really bizarre. They look like aliens. Uh, they've got these sort of funny wiggly root things. So yeah. as you plant them, you make a little bit of a mound. It's a bit hard because radio is not a visual medium. But as, as you plant them, spread the roots out kind of like a spider, I suppose. So the, yeah. the roots are going in different directions yeah. Yeah. on top of the mound. And the roots will continue to, to spread out laterally and the plant will get, get nice and established. And uh, And at this time of year now, uh, the asparagus crowns in people's gardens are starting to yellow off and, and die back. So if they haven't already, actually, uh, in autumn. So usually you can remove all those. You can just cut them back at ground level and throw some uh, good aged compost on top of them, throw some straw or pea straw over the top and you just can leave Leave them them there. Yeah, and then in springtime they'll start to reshoot when they're ready. Mm. So the only thing is you just keep a bit of an eye on the patch so they're not completely smothered in weeds over winter. But uh, apart from that, they're pretty easy care.
0: Mm. One of my favourite vegetables as well. They're beautiful. Now we do have a prize winner, Jan Mason from East Vic Park. Thanks for playing with us, Jan, and we will make sure the voucher is in the mail to you. This week, and of course, my question was which is the fastest growing plant, and the answer is bamboo. It can grow 91 centimeters per day, which is uh, astounding, isn't it? Okay, we'll be back in a moment. Five minutes to nine. You're with Let's Talk Gardening, and Faicaro has popped in. <laughs> nice of you to come.
5: I we've been having a I lovely trek, morning. Thank you. I trekked through the. Ra- I've been listening. You girls are doing a fantastic job. I don't think you need me.
0: Well, I just thoroughly enjoyed um, talking to Dan and just learning a little bit more about bees, which is just endlessly fascinating. And uh, no, it's been great great morning so far and Linda's been sharing uh, her
5: her wisdom and knowledge with us so yeah we've been uh, we've been doing all right I know I know I've been listening I was woken up by the thunder this morning yeah. I saw lightning we've had torrential rain fire and brimstone oh, out there you've done very well to come come down on
1: this well, day Linda I Thank think you. so it's
0: an hour's trek and I said I she's know. a dedicated lady because uh yeah a lot of people would shy away Oh, it's mostly downhill. <laughs> oh, yeah. it's getting home. That's the problem, isn't it? It's yeah. Getting up that hill again. I'll <laughs> be paddling back up there. You'll, you
2: go straight to work, though, don't you? I will do. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, but uh, no, there's been uh, a lot of rainfall, and one of the, our listeners rang in and said they'd had 33 mils in Baker's Hill. So that's huge, isn't it?
5: It's, and continuing. It's great, and it's lovely that we're having all that rain without the wind. Oh,
0: yeah. that's key, isn't it? Oh. I can
5: put up. Yesterday, the it was so stand. warm. I was yeah. wandering around the garden and looking at what's what's happening out there. There's so much in flower and everything looks happy and healthy. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. jobs to do, isn't there? Uh, always, always mm. jobs. But yeah. And I, I know, did you come up with an answer for the hydrangeas?
2: Uh, no, no. Have you got in your experience? Yeah, there we yes. go. She's nodding. She's, well,
5: she's... and I have hydrangeas, so it's there one of the, the things I look at about this time of the year and wonder if i will cut them back now Mm. i mean if you've got lots of weeding to do i think that's probably a bit of a priority but when you look at your hydrangeas because i see people leave them you know when they're flowered, they just leave the flowers dead that's right for a long time on the plants and it is habitat little Mm, bees will Mm. drill into the pithy stems so if we're cleaning up all the time we're reducing habitat. So sometimes the longer you can leave things, the better it is. But the the key or one of the keys is they kind of look a bit daggy. The mm. leaves will yellow. Uh, yeah. They drop their leaves mm. and you might see signs of fungus, mildew. Don't worry too much at this time of year, but clean up the leaves and go through and prune back any of the stems that are flowered that's the the first thing you do the ones that have flowered will not flower again so go down to two fat buds and nip it off and then the others that haven't flowered just give them a light trim because they still will flower Mm. Uh, don't worry about feeding at this time of year because they're dormant the fat stems are your hardwood cuttings. Mm. So easy to cut just below a node, maybe a 10 to 15 centimetre cutting or even 30 centimetres. It's up to you. And you can put a dozen or so in a pot. When they kick off, they'll make some roots and leaves and make then you can plots. pot them on in springtime. Beautiful. It's so easy. And the other Pithy stems, you could save a few, bundle them together and hang them as a bee hotel. You said it. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. Or insect hotel,
5: really. Yes, yes. yes. Mm. Awesome. So there we go. And then, of course, check for signs of powdery mildew and fertilise when when they're warming up and when the, the leaves are kicking off. I've Um, got a a
0: variegated um, hydrangea at the moment. It's beautiful, but it's just sitting at the mm. moment. It flowered a while back. It's got, you know, leaves on it. It's looking very healthy, but he's he's just sitting there quietly.
5: Well, they will kind Mm. of slow right down. That's why you you don't worry about feeding them when they're not actively growing. Mm. They're not doing much. It will, with the colder weather, probably go back a bit further before it comes on again. So. Put Mm. it out of the way, but you've probably got a spot that's got lovely morning sun, it's Mm -hmm. protected, Mm -hmm. it's Yes. You know? Just keep it looking good a little bit longer. Yes, I'll
0: try. Okay, nine four eight four one nine two seven. It's nine (laughs) o'clock. Cloudy today, showers, storm likely, currently 16.7 degrees. We're heading for a maximum today of 21. The minimum overnight will be 12 and tomorrow the maximum is 19, partly cloudy and showers. And on Monday, we are heading for a maximum of 18. It will be cloudy. Okay, let's head straight out to the lines. We are in Cundedon. Shane, thanks for waiting.
7: Thank you. Um, actually, morning, girls. Morning. Um, <laughs> I'm actually um, required some um, frangipani pods, and I'm just wondering how long they take to dry out before we can actually uh, plant the uh, seeds.
5: Have they they matured on the frangipani?
7: Yes, they have.
5: Okay. What you're probably waiting for more than anything would be the warm weather, Shane.
7: Right, okay, so just sort of leave them in a dark place for a while and bring them out when well, the um gets warm.
5: One of the ways to release seeds from pods is to put it in a paper bag on the parcel shelf in your car. Oh, and that well, way that's... it gets warm. What you don't want is the do to mm-hmm. split open. Mm-hmm. And the fluffy seeds just start drifting, mm-hmm. and they they do quite easily, so put it in a, a paper bag Sealed. you do, you don't want uh, to put it in plastic because they can get fungal issues they sweat, sweat and and moisture builds up or and just keep an eye on it just to make sure there's no insects there as well
7: right, yeah, they seem to be pretty uh, now I haven't noticed any. Any holes or anything in them, so it doesn't look like any insects have got in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm just um, just inquiring. I've never um, had a you know French penny seed pods given to me, so I just thought I'd give you girls a
5: what? A, uh, what variety are they? Do you know?
7: I'm not sure. All I know is that it's just a white flower one.
5: Okay, because there's some special whites. There's a Singapore white, uh, a hammerhead. Uh, there's <laughs> The the opportunities for French pennies these days are quite unlimited.
7: Right, okay. Well, I can turn around and find out from the person what type of tree it is.
5: Well, that is always a good idea because if you do have something that is a little bit special down the track in order to to give them away and share them, people are often interested to know what they are.
1: Yes, yeah. it's
5: one of my New Year's resolutions to label everything. <laughs>
7: <laughs> yeah, so well, I'll have to find out what type of tree, you know, uh, it is, and I'll give you girls a call back and let you know what type it is.
5: I look forward to hearing about that, Shane.
7: Okay, then. Thank you right. very much.
5: Thanks. Cheers, Bye for now. I
0: have a pod actually on one of my frangies, and I don't know what it is. I inherited it when I moved there, but it's a beautiful hot pink frangie. So I am thinking of yeah, keeping those those seeds.
5: Well, it would be a good idea mm. if you can get it identified. Uh, yeah, it would, and, wouldn't it? And I don't know that you will actually get the same pink because it may yeah. have been pollinated yeah. by one of those bees of Dan's who yeah. may be running around the two kilometres from their hive exactly. sharing pollen on different plants. Exactly. So, But it is a,
0: it is a beautiful... Uh, deep pink uh, very very special now Philomena f- um, phoned in and she wants to know what f- <clears throat> I think that's for joa and persimmon and how do you cook prepare them for eating
5: well fruits. to my knowledge just just raw but you know I'm going to handle this to John and say John find us some recipes or ideas for what to do with persimmons and for because yeah. they could, you there know, are. they, they there they'd be are the big chutneys and uh, there jabs. are.
2: But generally, yes, they're they're fruits, so you generally eat them raw. Mm. But we have got an abundance of Fajoas this year. We've had a bumper, bumper crop, and gorgeous. Oh, I love them, absolutely yeah. love them. I mean, my teenage son will come along and just help himself, to oh, them, which yes. is awesome. So, generally, you don't eat the skin. You can cut them open and scoop out the insides with a spoon. These are fajoas we're talking about. Mm. Uh, or you can use a potato peeler on them and get the skin off that way and just slice the fruit or eat them. Mm. Um, and I made a really nice crumble with fajoas just this week. Really? Yes. How interesting. Yes. So, uh, you can add apple to it. So, it can be a fajoa and apple. But Gorgeous. if you've got plenty of fajoas, it will use up to 15 to 20 fajoas in the one recipe. And you basically peel and slice the fruit. Um, I did find the recipe online. I think there was a small amount of maple syrup that you added to it uh, and maybe a tiny bit of brown sugar uh, or that might have gone in the crumble top. And then, yeah, so you mix a crumble with your typical kind of oats and butter, a little bit of flour um, and... Just put that through a blender and put it on top and bake it in the oven, and it
5: was absolutely mm. delicious with cream or custard or ice yes. cream or all of all the above. Of the yes. above
0: thank yeah. you. <laughs> and it's quite Don't unusual
2: because Fajora have got that kind of almost pineapple y kind of yeah. a tropical sort of a yeah. scent, yeah. and I really it was lovely. Well, it was just we'll something they're just again. different, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
5: Well, crumbles at this time of year are just, oh, <laughs> they're on the menu, aren't they? they Heaven, are. yeah. yeah. Mm.
2: Well, they're easy and, you know, you can you know, have them over a couple of days even. You can reheat them and, and you can even have them cold once they're cooked, so, yeah. Breakfast? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's healthy if you add yoghurt, surely. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Okay, 94841927. You have two specialists to chat to this morning with your gardening questions and
5: inquiries. Now, we've got, I know we've got a couple of emails We there, have. Right? We have. Now, this one's come in during the week, and it is from Rosemary from Warwick, I believe. Oh, and
0: she said such lovely things to us. She Thank did. you, Rosemary.
5: Yes, she said, good afternoon, ladies. Oh. Should I be concerned about what's... Occurring with some of my roses, and may you continue with the gardening show. You help in so many ways, you are great companions to us all. That's mm. really lovely, thank, thank you, Rosemary. You. Yeah, I loved hearing that. There, the, the photo that she sent in is of some older rose leaves so there's mm. certainly some browning and can some, i say my roses look like that well you you can and you should rate yeah. it's okay yeah you know they they're winter they're well we're going into winter mm. the weather's been a bit hit and miss they've taken hammering sure with, with chili thrips yeah. and other pests this year so it's quite normal that The leaves will go yellowish. It's the plant preparing for its winter dormancy. Exactly. So what will happen Mm. is the leaves that look like this will continue to deteriorate and naturally drop off. Mm. So the best thing you can do is clean up fallen leaves Mm. so you're removing any pests as well as disease and just yeah, get ready for your winter prune, which will be, well, they tell you, the plants, once again, like the hydrangeas, They just look really daggy and if they're at the entrance to your home, you'll be starting to think, I can't stand the look of those (laughs) anymore. It'll be time to cut them back. As to when is the best time, June or July, a lot of people would do them. Mm -hmm. Uh, A friend of mine used to say the second Saturday closest to the 13th of July is the best time to do them. (laughs) Ideally, you Very wait specific. until after the chance of frost is over. Mm. Uh, but even in my garden in Jandicott, mm. we don't get frost where the rose bed is. Okay. There's different pockets, yeah, different microclimates. Sure. So mm. any time that
0: suits me. Yeah. And would you prune, like, I'm just thinking, because I do have one of my roses that is looking quite skanky and I don't blame it given everything it's been through. Would I prune him maybe at a different time and prune the others when I know that they're ready? Because some are and some aren't. Or do you think it's best to do it all in one go? I
5: sort of look at them and I get, Mm. with everything in my garden, I get a feeling about I'm in the mood to do it. I can't Mm. stand the look of it you know, it might be that the bulbs are coming up underneath. It might be that I need to weed and it would be a whole lot easier to weed the rose bed when they're cut back. So I might time them together. I'm still just deadheading my roses at the moment because they're still, they've just put on some fantastic yeah. new growth. And I've seen mm. other rose gardens the around same. like that too. Uh, I Uh Was that uh, to Charles Garden Hospital the other day, looking at their roses. I look at roses wherever I go. Of course, and they're not looking too good. They just look like they need someone to go along, and just tidy them up, them, exactly. And mm. then they would put on their new growth. Exactly. And this time of year, I don't think chili th- thrips will be your problem. Problem, no. Okay, no. So that's a great answer. Thank you. Thank you. Now we received. A photo from Marge and she sent in a photo of initially when I first saw it it's feathery it looks like an annual I would say the amaranth family it's actually celosia plumosa which is often sold as an annual in garden centers and nurseries it's not one I've had a lot to do with I haven't grown a lot they haven't lasted a long time when I have bought them have a look at that, Ray. Uh, oh, these so, guys, yeah. So mm-hmm. you, there are other varieties that look mm-hmm. like flames. Mm-hmm. So if yes. you were setting up a, a display in your, your garden with a witch's pot or a hanging pot like a cauldron, mm. you might put these little annuals underneath to look like the flames. They come in reds, yellows and oranges mm. and they're just for, for winter colour. Mm. So, yep, yeah, but they are frost sensitive. So, like a lot of things, they will sort of go off in winter we seem to be talking about a lot of things that are going off and how to manage them
0: and we got an email from a couple of uh, ladies this morning Joan from Jinjin was saying that they've had so far 52 mils of welcomed rain which is uh, huge and Mm. more to come and uh, we also had an email from Lucy and she was just saying how much she loved listening to Dan and can we please get him into the studio soon and uh, Yes. yes
5: we will and winter's a great time because when it goes quiet, I mean Dan could just fill up a show for two hours. <laughs> well, he can talk picture. underwater, can't he, with a mouthful of marbles, well, let's be honest. You need to talk underwater today with the amount yeah, of rain out true. there.
0: Yeah, how fabulous is it. Just so, loving it. And I've I've got a lockdown weekend. I've created my own oh, lockdown. I love mm. that, Ray. You so yeah, deserve that. I do. When is it? This weekend. Oh, but I'm you, in lockdown you're now. You're working. I know, oh. when I get home.
5: <laughs> so I can't take I put you my shopping. Foot down.
0: No, we're not going anywhere. I'm not doing anything. Well, I might do what I want to do, but absolutely uh, not going out is basically it and just having a little bit of time out. Yeah, so I create my own lockdown. Way to go, you. Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah, enough's enough. <laughs> okay, carry on.
5: Well, what was I listening to this morning about Doing the t- oh the bees how they they plan ahead you know they know that the rain's coming yes mm. and so they plan to have a few days tidying up the hive. <laughs>
2: yeah. What we need is Dan to give us a call when he sees that happening. So yeah, we know. so we know yeah. in advance. It's probably yeah. more accurate. I, than I was some just of the about
0: forecasts. to say. I was just about to say, but it'd be far more accurate than uh, what we what we are exposed to on a day to day basis.
5: Yes, yes. Well, I must admit, I did try and get out and make hay while the sun shone this week, Mm. putting up my patio and working on my florist shop. What a conundrum. For all those folks who've got all their plants inside, one thing I realised is it's not much good having pots outside in the weather that don't have a drainage hole because they fill up with water. And it's not much good having pots inside that do have a drainage hole because it goes all over your floor. So, love, yeah. oh, talk about shuffling pots and oh, plants. Oh, welcome to my world. Like, mm. and then if you've got a big pot that really needs three plants in it, do you have to pot them into one pot to put inside your display pot? Like, how do how do all these people manage their indoor plants and in their big pots? It's a lot of work.
1: Mm. Mm.
0: Well, certainly with for me, I have the
5: pot inside the pot, and that. That's okay mm. for, like, one pot, but when mm. it's a big pot and you want three plants, yeah. do you, like, make that investment to put them all in that one big pot? And plant them in there? Yes.
0: No. 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 So
5: do you have three pots and mm. then do you put some, like, coir or something over the top so it looks all pretty? Well, I haven't done that,
0: but, yeah, that's what I should do. Mm. But, yeah, I've got some big, big plants and it's easier for me to be able to lift them in and out. And uh, they're in sexy pots. And, uh, yeah, and they're basically from eye vision, you know. Uh, they look they look fine if I've got them positioned in a corner. It depends. I've got some planted directly into the pots. And sometimes I have a saucer underneath, but I, I am mindful of making
5: sure they're not sitting in water. And you would also have to be really careful because I bet that puppy would love to dig in your pots.
0: Yeah, and so I have to have things in unusual places. I can't have (laughs) plants where she can access them. Oh, I can just imagine. It's it's (laughs) hard at the moment because everything's up off the ground, you know. Well, do you
5: know, I had an idea when my children were young, it was a long time ago, and I got an old stocking and put it over the rim of the plant and tied the legs in a knot so that the stocking actually covered the surface of the pot and they couldn't get into the To dirt. dig around in there.
0: Yeah, that's well, the, a good yeah. idea. And Marilyn phoned in. Uh, she's a New Zealander and she said, Fejoa is uh, very expensive here. Uh, her friend in New Zealand makes the most delicious wine and liqueurs from Fijoas There's another <laughs> oh, <I> book. <bet. laughs> so, yeah, thanks for the corruption, Marilyn. Yeah, not that we actually needed it.
5: And a reminder to return off the retic. Oh, well, June one, would, June
0: 1 is winter. I it's... would
5: think most people have already turned off their retic. I have. Like yeah. best pra- practice management would say, turn off your retic and only turn it on when required. Absolutely. Well, no, basically, mm. legally, it's now, we don't turn it on until spring. Correct. But, you know, I was wondering, it's a conundrum here, isn't it? You know, here we are giving the best advice to gardeners to manage fruit trees. And I was looking at, at some of my plants this week and I thought, they need water. Yeah. So, you know. I know what
0: you're going to say. Well, I, I'm not I know, going to say I know, it. I know what you're thinking. How's that? All right. And we're talking bore water. We're in Safety Bay with Tanya. Good morning.
5: Morning, good Tanya. morning, Good morning. How are you? Oh, wow. good. How are you going? We we oh, talked fine. to you last weekend.
8: That's right. Yes, yes, you did. And I I checked the podcast and I heard it again and and we really picked up a lot more messages in it. Yes. Yeah, so now I don't really want to give you another curveball. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that. <laughs> Do I read or don't I read? Well, yeah, no, I thought. Well, no, go to know and you've got a few gardening people who's on the show that do the soil and that sort of stuff. I'm just wondering, I've noticed that my veggies go better on rainwater and steam water than they do on the bore water. Mm. Yes. And, yes. I, and I'm just wondering, is it worth getting it tested or what it is? Oh. Well, I'll, I
5: guess... i you a turf ball, haven't I? <laughs> no, no, I, I completely understand. Bore water across... Perth and the hills is going to be variable. The water that you have got will be different to the water that I have got. So I can't tell you about your water. One of the things that is important to test for is salt levels. Yeah, that's very important. And the pH. Yes, those two things are fairly easy to test
8: for. And... Oh, sorry, to the pH of the water itself?
2: Yes, correct. Yes. Okay. yeah. Because depending, on, as Faye was saying, on where that water is drawn from, if it's sitting in a substrate of limestone or something underneath, it could have a high pH. And yes, yeah, salt is also something that's worth testing. It was Up in the hills where we are, we have a bore, and uh, at certain times of the year, it does go salty mm. and... It, uh the first time it kind of happened and it's usually towards the end of summer as the water table changes yeah um we didn't cotton on it's just Mm. that things started to look less and less healthy and strangely it was only certain plants some plants were still thriving because of course plants have different tolerance levels to salt and when we finally cottoned on uh, it was like duh really it's kind of what we do you'd think it would be a bit more obvious but um And we had the water tested. Yeah, it was really just borderline for it being uh, within the tolerance for most plants. So uh, you will probably find that your water quality will change during the course of the year for the same reason, um, but yeah. you, it's certainly worth getting tested. And to my knowledge, the, some of the re-tick shops that are around and also okay. the swimming pool companies uh, are usually also very good. And I don't think they charge to do salt and pH tests on a small water sample that you take in.
5: It was okay. interesting many years ago when I was involved with aquaponics and growing fish, we found that the bore water coming out of the ground was high in ammonia. Yeah, wow. Which is very problematic mm. for fish. Now in a balanced system, if you're doing minor top ups, it will naturally change to nitrogen which becomes available for plants. But in the meantime, high levels of ammonia can be toxic to fish. Yeah, wow. Oh. So oh. you know there's there's a whole lot of science that goes on to this. So um, <laughs> Tanya, it it would be very interesting to get some results on your bore water and and also the scheme water to to know where you're at.
8: Oh you mean that I should get the scheme water tested as well?
5: Well if it's not too expensive if it's affordable it would be interesting to compare the difference. Yeah
8: yeah because I noticed when it rains the plants, you know, this is a, even the, even the lawn and that sort of stuff. So rain,
5: rain is the, is the best. Magical water. Water. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. lightning and thunder will put nitrogen into yeah. the soil. Mm. There's dissolved oh.
2: nitrogen in rain. Mm. So that's why your plants mm. always Looks look fabulous. Fabulous. a bit happier.
8: Yep. Mm. Oh, okay then. Oh, thank you very much for that, ladies. You're welcome, um, Tanya. I enjoyed this no worries. At least I didn't give you purple this time. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Oh, hang on. What do I do if, if, with the
0: results, if it's. Call us! <laughs> Call us back! <laughs> okay. <Yeah>. Thank <laughs> you, love. Thank you. Bye. Okay, bye. Short break. When we return, we're chatting with Chris and Wendy.
3: Curtain Radio!
0: You're tuned into Lex Talk Gardening. Special guest in the studio with us this morning, Linda Michener from Green Life Soil Co. And uh, there's also Faikaro there as well. She's another, she's another guest this morning. Just teasing. All right, let's head to Geraldton talking about roses. Chris, good morning.
9: Yes, good morning, girls. Uh, lovely show, very informative. Thank you, um, Chris. I, I, I've got a dozen roses out the front. They're about uh, 80 months old now. Um, I've prepared the soil. Everything's going wonderfully well. They're all healthy and growing like mad. But two of them just grow one big, thick stalk, and I kid you not, one and a half, nearly two metres high, is that to the detriment of the rest of the bush? I mean, I cut that big fellow off at about 400 maybe, and it still it wants to grow again. Without it sort of growing into a bush, it's more like a damn tree.
5: Well, I wonder if you have got a climbing rose there or a pillar rose.
9: Uh, Well, I didn't buy it as such.
5: Okay, do you know what the variety
9: is? (laughs) <laughs> I'd love to go out and show and get the label off the thing, but it's actually bucketing down up there at the moment. <laughs> so.
5: No, that's one of the things to look at, Chris. Yeah. Some have a very rampant, uh, but pattern of growth. So knowing what the variety is is something that I would then Google and just get a, a description of what the growth is like. So,
9: okay. yeah, uh,
5: you know whether it's. For starters, hybrid tea, a floribunda, is it a, a climber, is it a heritage rose? Many roses are in different categories and sometimes that d- tells us more about their habit.
9: Okay, okay. The, the, the ones that, that suffer, they, they came from a local um, hardware store, which we won't mention, but, but the ones on the left-hand side of the archway were all bought from a rose place in Perth and, and they're all fine. Um and I guess it's the story of you only get what you pay for, I suppose, but the these things don't seem to be yeah, the rest of the the other four have grown like a bush. But um so I, okay. I thought they were all the same breed, but maybe right. not. Yeah. I,
5: I would just start with like doing a, a search on the name of the plant and see yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, if that turns up anything, it might tell you something okay. that gives you all your answers.
9: So if I keep cutting this big stalk off, it's going to keep growing that way, is it?
5: Well, let's just find out what we've got, then we're better yeah. informed. So when you've got the name of the plant,
1: yeah. either
5: send us an email to gardening at or just ring and let Bev know and we can yep. do a bit of research for you.
9: Roger and I Okay. Pouring okay. with rain. Lovely to see you.
5: Enjoy it, Chris. Take care. Bye. Bye.
0: And we are in Bellia, we're talking about diosma. Hi Wendy, how's it going? Oh, it's a bit wet, but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, funny that. Yeah. It. Yeah.
10: My my problem is I've got um three uh, very large nearly five feet um diosma bushes which are twenty years old and they keep they're showing signs of like a rust colour. Is there an age limit on these bushes? I wouldn't
5: think so. Do you um, hedge them or trim them back at all? Yes, yes, I keep them in shape. Okay, so when you say a rust, uh, is it on the end of the leaves? It's not the spent flowers, is it? No,
10: no, no. It's like on the whole, quite on the whole branch. And now when I went round the other side of the bush yesterday... It, it's all it's all over that bush as well. I mean, I've had it before and I've managed to cut it out, but this time there is so much of it, I'm wondering if the whole thing's dying.
5: Well, mm, I'm not sure. Are you able to send us a photo, Wendy? Yes. yes okay. Well, if you can do that, that will help. Uh, I, I'm i not aware of them being affected by rust, but I, I do wonder if it's some sort of scale or... If the plant's dying back, and if you cut that out, will will that stop the problem without making the bush look too untidy? Well, um, in
10: past years I have cut it out, and 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 now they've continued mm.
6: because
10: it's been happening probably since about um, ten years ago when it was a bit smaller.
5: Okay, so it'd be good to identify what it is exactly. I know.
10: So there isn't a lifespan on this particular plant.
5: Well, I I think if you care for them and keep them growing well. Yeah, they, and
10: mm. we fertilise when we need to, and all of that. So they get it's on the water. It's on the water. So you know. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Send us
5: a photo, and we'll see what we can find out for you.
10: All right, then I'll send you. I oh, won't do it today, it's a bit okay. Uh, but I will during the week. Thank
5: all right. Thanks, Thanks, Wendy. You.
0: Okay then, bye. Bye. Thank you, Joe. And John called in from Maddington and he wants to know the best time to put sheep manure on the garden. Oh, well, I Is reckon- there a best time?
2: <laughs> well, it comes down to really what type of garden, what type of plants. I mm. mean, as you were talking before about your hydrangeas, there's really no point in fertilising things as they're going into any type of dormancy. Mm. Um, but for things that are actively growing and preparing pre- for say your asparagus like we're talking about it's a perfect time
5: depends what you're wanting to put it on correct yeah you know I I certainly you know I said I go out and I look at things and I just get an urge about when to do something and I and I tend to order sheep manure uh, either spring or or autumn Mm. you know while the weather's been lovely you know I'd order 10 20 bags And I would go around and I'd weed a garden bed and then I would throw in bags of sheep manure Mm. and I would just lightly rake the surface. But if I've got lots of seedlings there, I'm careful about how I do that. So I tend to do it when the the beds are bare Mm -hmm. and with weather like this, it also works its way into the soil mm. so it gets really wet. If you put it on in summertime, it can stay quite dry. Dry can, yeah, which is so pointless. So yeah. when we're getting rain is a good time and digging it into the soil. Okay. So now now yeah, in winter. Mm. And Terry and Ruth from Port Kennedy called
0: in and they loved the bee segment. Uh, they've got three hives at Bakers Hill and they found the information from Dan very informative and they enjoy the show very much. Thank you guys we appreciate hearing that. And speaking of other happy listeners, uh, Zena Lamb sent us a great picture of what she bought at Bigger Trees with her prize voucher. She had uh, four hedging bushes, the bush Christmas they look very very healthy indeed and a bamboo palm and I must say the bamboo palms as an indoor plant uh, cannot go wrong. Uh, I've got one in, the cor- one in the corner in my home and uh, they're very low maintenance in all regards and can honestly say they do really well indoors and how many plants can you really say th- you know thrive and they do the bamboo palm fantastic as an indoor plant so
5: Camadoria
0: bamboo palm to me love yeah <laughs> <laughs> that'll do but anyway thanks for sending that in zena and we're glad uh you enjoyed the nursery and uh, you've got some uh beautiful beautiful spoils there well done 94841927 now also i think you've got
5: some more oh, that you like came to add in with some ideas on what to do with Fajoas and persimmons. So we have a no-bake Fejoa and white chocolate cheesecake. Wow. Mm. Cordial paste. So lovely with your cheese to keep up your calcium levels. Uh, <laughs> so you're only limited by your imagination, aren't mm, you? So you? and apple crumble, jam, fritters <gasps> and salsa. And then for persimmon, oh, I'm not sure about this one, persimmon and... Bresciola Bites, air-dried salted meat. Okay. So that's that goes along with caramelised persimmons with prosciutto, steamed persimmon pudding, persimmon and brie crostini, frozen persimmon <laughs> custard, pork with persimmons and mustard greens. All star. Persimmon compote, mixed chicories with persimmon, Broiled persimmons with mascarpone. So the list is endless. Now we're all hungry. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Wonder what he's got for morning tea today. (laughs) Exactly. Well, yeah, it
0: sounds like a list that he's uh, interested in himself, actually.
5: Wow, I wouldn't Mm. be surprised if he doesn't come through with the goods. If you've got lots of fajoas, yeah, I Linda, I, I you could have brought thought, some in. I know,
2: I'm sorry. I <laughs> so. I'm, I'm never at my best game early in the morning. That's, <laughs> That's
5: true. I, I remember you saying that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've done very well. Thank you. Thank you. Now, we've also received an email and a photo from Andrea in Cottesloe. She sent in a photo of one of her lemons, and the limes too have these dry and brownish skin, but inside they're okay. The trees are 10 years old. They fruit really well, and this is the second year it's happened. What's wrong and what can I do?
2: Well, uh, just having a very, very quick look at the photo and then comparing it to some things I just had a look at online, I'd suggest it is citrus scab, which is a fungal disease. Um, the, The spores can come in on the wind, and uh, obviously settle on the tree and it it, as you said doesn't affect the inside of the fruit but it's very unsightly and it's obviously going to spread and uh, the suggested treatment is to strip the tree so probably wait till you've harvested and then use a uh, copper spray because it is a fungal kind of problem so coating the tree and particularly around the branches and things um, where any fungal spores could sort of Position themselves in the cracks and things, and you should be able to get on top of it that way. So for
5: future growth, it'll it'll come good. And Ray, today the 29th was the day that the Wildflower Society had their plant sale that was rescheduled uh, because 29th of the twenty of May it was lockdown. put on because of lockdown. That and it's right. happening today. Yes, it it's scheduled for today, and the Herb Society are there today also. So. On Monday night, I went to the Herb Society meeting with John Banner-Savage. He gave a talk there and I noted that they were also going to be at the Lansdale Farm School. So that's today, 9am to 2pm at the Lansdale
0: Farm in Darch. Yes. Okay. No, thank you for that
2: brave the weather and you might find some
5: wonders. Oh,
0: I think so too. Well, it's, yeah. it's great time
5: for planting. Weather so doesn't So you just stop need you. your dry bone <laughs> and your gum boots. That's and it. it.
0: wouldn't stop me.
5: <laughs> wait till after the gardening show's finished. Of course.
1: <laughs>
5: <laughs> what else have we got here? Uh, Sandra sent in an email. These are catching up from last week. They came in during the show, but we just had a busy show towards the end, like we often do other than today. And she has shown signs of it it looks like mold looks like fungus growing on the soil of the garden in a veggie patch with a raised garden bed it's all through the soil and she's wondering if she should treat it she doesn't use poisons it's a fluffy fungus now i've seen this sort of thing when i've used um the multi-guard snail pellets Mm -hmm. when they get wet and they break down or the fungi breaks them down I I don't know what would be causing this. I don't know if they will further develop into something else. Uh, Linda, have you got any ideas? You wouldn't see that sort of thing in your soils.
2: Well, it does depend because like you said, perhaps she did use sprinkle some pellets around it. It's possible from there. Mm. It can happen with some fertilizers too. I think it might be something with one of the ingredients that they use in the pellets. Uh, it, it's only one photo, so it is hard to tell, but it seems to be fairly concentrated in one
5: spot. So I don't necessarily mm, think... And it is around the peas, so yeah. it, it, it could well be. It's not the normal fungus that you see in soil.
2: No, it's, I don't think it's mycelium uh, no, so, but I, at the same time I personally would just keep an eye on that and I wouldn't be too stressed about it. Um, obviously peas are susceptible to some fungal diseases but just because you have one fungus present in your soil or in your garden doesn't transpire to being the one that that plant is susceptible to.
1: Well,
5: and a lot of them are, are beneficial so they'll Correct. be breaking down organic matter and it's certainly fungi season, the fungi's popping up all around the place, yeah. breaking down organic matter
2: yeah you see them particularly at the end of uh, autumn where it's still warm mm. and there's warmth in the soil and a bit of moisture you know fungus and mushroom and toadstools and everything pop up
5: everywhere we, we will see copious amounts out now a lot of the ghost fungus has started appearing at the base of trees people have been out there capturing slow exposure photos so that they That's actually cool. glow mm. green mm. there's a lot more people doing that but yes with the the warm weather that we had and the overnight rain, get out and, and have a look. Get your see what's popped up. Out. Mm. Now a photo from Daniella, not a photo, sorry, an email. She would like to transplant a blood orange tree and an orange tree. Approximately 1.8 metres tall, been in the ground for a couple of years, but would like to transplant them and wonders when is the best time, how to prepare or cut the roots. And how to prepare the new home and care for it after transplanting
2: yeah uh, it's certainly a good time Uh, winter is a good time to do a lot of transplanting because plants aren't going to be stressed out Um, so I would prepare the area first that you're going to put the tree in before you dig up the existing citrus so any form of good aged compost uh, or Age manures uh, they will they will help prepare the soil if it's very very sandy we always recommend adding uh, something like one of the clays to help with water holding over summer get all that in the soil make sure there's plenty of moisture in the area and when you're ready to go then dig up the citrus Uh, try to remove as much of the root ball as you possibly can if you damage something just kind of trim it back cleanly Uh, and I would usually recommend to just give the top of the tree also a light prune because if you have damaged the roots which is a bit inevitable when transplanting the tree doesn't have all of those roots available to pull up water from the soil and so if you remove some of the foliage cover from the tree it doesn't have to feed itself as much or water itself as much. Uh, Give it a good water in place you can use something like a, a sea salt sea, or seaweed or a kelp fertiliser to assist with transplant shock and there are some commercial uh, formulations that are for transplant shock as well that you can buy and really just keep an eye on it and uh, it, it should come good, that would be my advice.
5: Mm-hmm. I think say? now is okay or even springtime. Yep. just
2: okay. leave it too
5: late we'll into spring.
0: OK, there's about 15 minutes left of the program. If you have a question, get in now. Back in a moment. Thank you for your company this morning. Special guest in the studio, Linda Michener from Green Life Soil Co. And got another lovely email this morning from Rita in Maidavale. And uh, she sent us through a gorgeous photo um, a little bit of sunshine on a rainy day and she said uh, it's from her mum's garden there you go girls oh, how yeah, lovely. yeah very very cute show and tell and uh, she said uh, they have self-seeded so she just lets them grow and now they're flowering and she loves the show and thought the beekeeper info was amazing so yes, definitely. He's we'll get a bit
5: of a hit. Dan Dan Boyne. and we we can take all the calls. Well, we have to do something to get the. I've never known it this quiet. Do you think it's a weather-driven issue? Oh, absolutely. I've never known it I mean, this <laughs> we've had we've had thunder and lightning and rain. Do you
0: think people don't people, like
5: to be on the phone? Well, that's true. I mm. I turn off my computers when, thunders. Coming because it's a new computer and it's got lots of photos. <laughs> you don't want anything to no, go wrong. No, yeah, yeah that's but I'd idea. be staying in bed with a cup of tea if, if I wasn't here.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
5: I bet you that's
2: what they're all doing. Yeah.
5: Yes. Okay. Carry on. And Andrea about the the lemon and lime skins has sent another email and said i hope you haven't answered this already and i missed it well she was probably sending this about the the time we talked about it so if that's the case andrea you need to go to the curtain website let's talk gardening under programs and the drop down box you will find podcast Mm. and you'll be able to listen to the show all over again
9: Mm -hmm,
5: exactly there we go. And, yes, the, the gentleman who rang in from Geraldton, I think it was Chris maybe, yeah. about the shoot heading for the sky that he's, he's pruned back a couple of times, Andrea has called in and wonders if uh, the the shoot could be from the rootstock. Well, so I that's that. something else to look out for. Hmm. Hmm. You know I'm not on my game, Ray. I had a late night last night.
0: Okay, no, it seemed to be that's yeah. my excuse. Oh, okay. Yeah, But we'll yes, look
5: on. for different, uh, different foliage growth. Often the mm. rootstock has many more thorns, finer leaves, and will head for the sky. Yeah, definitely. Mm. And if that is the case, you just tear, tear it, away it away from the base of the plant. Don't cut it because that will just encourage it to grow. Mm-hmm. All right. Shall I go to Lederville? Yes, please. Okay. We're talking about a
0: gardenia. Lisa, hi. Oh, hello. How are you? We're Very good. good. Thank you.
10: That's good. Um, I'm just ringing because I recently um, took out an established um, gardenia um, tree from our front yard. Um, and it was actually, when I, when we dug it out, it was like rotten like from the roots. So I'm just thinking how to prepare the soil to replant another.
2: If it's rotten, like really rotten, yeah. it would suggest to me that it was a drainage issue. So, yeah, yeah. so do We're make really sh-
10: sandy soil and stuff. Well, that,
2: that's actually good for drainage. It's oh, one of the okay. advantages. So probably Maybe just look at your watering regime. Uh, just yeah. yeah, and the old. Finger test of soil as to how you know damp it is just below the surface is is always right. beneficial and once you kind of I think get it right um, your, your gardenias once they're in the right spot they're actually pretty tough so good luck with the new yeah, one because they're I've, so beautiful yeah
10: I've read also like you can overwater or underwater and they you know so you have to just you know, find the balance there. Correct,
2: it's that sweet spot and then they'll reward you for many years. They had gorgeous plants.
5: But Lisa, just make sure you don't put anything too close to the stem of the plant. Like I like to plant with a little well so that it does catch the water but not so that it's going to get collar rot if it's staying wet at the surface.
8: Okay,
5: great. All right. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Good luck. Okay, bye. Bye for now.
0: And we're in Wandi having a chat with Joan about fiddlewood good morning
3: good morning uh, i have fiddlewood that's grown too tall and i would like to cut it down but can i uh, use the uh, bit that i cut down to stray another plant and how do you do it please
5: fiddlewood how how big is it
3: a fiddle leaf sorry a oh,
5: fiddle leaf
1: oh, big it, ah.
3: yeah uh-huh. it's very tall it's touching my ceiling uh, out in the paleo and uh, it's got nowhere to go so I really have to either cut it down or mm. maybe pull out in the sunshine or you know in the open or something like that But I don't want to do that. It's been kept undercover all these years. When
0: they're happy in a spot, particularly the fiddle leaf, Mm. I wouldn't be moving it um, too too much. No, but it's grown too tall. It's
3: touching a ceiling.
0: Yeah, I've I've cut mine. I have cut mine, and it's been a successful operation.
5: Yep. Yep.
3: Oh yeah. So can you start another plant from the
5: cutting? You can. You can. Or another. Another way to do it, if you want to almost guarantee that it will work, is to to layer it where where you're going to uh, cut the plant, you cut halfway and put something like sphagnum moss wrapped in glad wrap around what you're cutting off and that will develop roots. So that... Oh, leave it on the plant? Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. And that's a very very easy, surefire way to ensure yeah. that you get a new plant from it.
3: Also, I noticed down on the bottom, um, there's a new sort of plant coming through the side branches. Can I sort of uh, graph from there or not? Uh, do you mean divide? Uh, no, uh, on the, the actual plant itself, the parent plant, uh, um, coming from the bottom branches, there's a little sort of side shoot and it's grown quite a few big uh, little leaves. Can I sort of, uh, I would say, graft from there as well to make it... I don't really want it to grow too bushy because I don't think the pot will take it. I, I'm not sure when you say graft.
5: Normally, we take something from another plant.
3: Oh, oh uh, no. Okay, that's fine. I I might be able to slice it off and then put some, maybe sphagnum moss on, on the actual bottom bit. And um,
5: if it's you know if it's close to the bottom of the pot, you can yeah. achieve the same sort of thing by by layering along the soil or putting another pot close by, nicking the stem, pushing it and holding it into the pot and that will achieve the same thing. By cutting the stem, the plant will push out roots from that point and then you can remove it from the parent plant. Oh,
3: Oh, okay. Now, when I'm cutting it, how far, I mean, where do I cut it? Is it below the... Just below a node. No? Just below below a node. And you just put sphagnum locks around the bit where I cut and then just wrap around me. Yes. Know, wrap them and things like that. Yep. Oh, okay. Well, shall I shall try that because there's quite a few branches that I could experiment, I think. Oh, I, well, good luck
5: with it, Joan. We await your thanks. feedback, Joan. I will. Thanks very much. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Take care. Cheers Thank for that. Thank you. Bye. Short break. When we return, we're chatting with Beth and Alistair. And we're straight back out to the lines. We're in Jandecott talking about transplanting a rose. Beth, good morning.
3: Hi there. Um, I was wondering,
10: we're moving houses in uh, a few weeks, and I've got some roses that I want to take with me. How do you, I've heard someone say
5: something about bare rooting to transplant a rose, is this correct? Well, Beth, what I would do at this time of year is give them a hard cut back and take as much of the root ball as you can and put them into pots and they'll bounce back in springtime. I'm quite sure.
3: Okay. All right.
5: That's an easy one.
3: Mm. Yeah, thanks a lot. Bye. Okay, bye.
0: Cheers for that. And today's gardening program is sponsored by Safety Bay Settlements, settling and transferring properties across WA since 1977. We're heading to Glen Forest. Good morning,
1: Alastair. Good ladies morning. Morning. Good morning. <laughs> um, I've a, I've grown two purple trees from seed and they have been prolific fruiters, um, which I'm very pleased with. However, the one at the base of the trunk looks like it's starting to get sort of rot in it. And I was wondering, is there anything that I can treat it with?
5: Well, I I don't really like your chances. Um, at this time of year, pawpaws going into winter is not going to be their favourite time of the year. If it yep. is rot, uh, I think probably uh, something like Yates Anti-Rot may, may help you... For a bit longer, but by the same token, I think you're better off preparing for a new tree because they are gross feeders and if they're going to produce a lot of fruit, they need good roots. If your stem and roots are compromised, it's just, it's not really going to work well. Yeah, it's never sort of going to be a healthy, super healthy
2: plant again. And I might say too that in Glen Forest, I think you're doing very well to be growing pawpaws there. It's, it's it, You've obviously got the right microclimate because it's probably a pretty marginal spot, I would imagine, um, in the in the foothills or the hills there. So well done. I, I think congratulations that you've managed to get good fruit off them so far.
1: Yeah, no, it's, they, they have, um, both of them are absolutely loaded with pawpaws.
2: Wonderful, Um, And
1: I've even managed to grow
2: pineapples.
1: There you go. Um, So, yeah, I've grown a couple of pineapples. Uh, One's fruiting at the moment. Um, So, yeah, I've been very pleased with them. But the the pawpaws have been amazing. And I I was actually thinking of, of trying to cut the one tree down, doing what you suggested to the other lady about cutting into it and putting the moss around it and getting it to start rooting and then cutting it off and replanting it because it, it's it's now up to about oh, 12 feet tall.
5: Oh, wow. Well done.
2: Well, it's always right. worth trying something like that uh, to keep the tree alive. Um, you've got really nothing to lose if it looks like it's going backwards with the rot at the moment. Yep. It's it's a tricky thing. And of course, going into winter with more moisture in the soil, it's, it's going to be even more difficult to sort of Worse. treat. So yeah, good luck. Yep. All,
1: All right. right. Well, thank you very much for that.
5: Okay. Thanks, Alistair.
1: Bye, Bye now.
0: Bye. Bye for now. Now,
5: did you ladies have anything further you'd like to add? We did from last week. Maria sent us in a photo of avocado that is blackened on the outside and uh, we we think it's probably anthracnose, which these trees are quite susceptible to. Mm-hmm. So once again, anti-rot is a product that you can use and I think you apply it three weekly for preventative Or no, three weekly if you're looking to cure something, about six weekly if you're looking to prevent it. So that's something that's systemic that can help. Uh, We also got an email from Dominic who asked about taking some roses out that are planted down the driveway and wants to replace them with lavender. But in the back of his mind, uh, thinks that you can't plant where roses have been, which and particularly with something like lavender they would they're very hardy and easygoing so lavender drama. would be fine so that should be okay go ahead and do that. Patrick has sent us in an email and has trouble with white flies on the cabbage and kale under the under the leaves so mm. this is a problem with the, the wet weather that we're having now it might ease off and beneficial predators may come in uh, but I think Eco Oil is something that you could spray. Even a jet of water will send them off and remove the worst affected leaves and minimise the infestation.
2: Yeah, allow a little bit more airflow through if you can as well. They tend to sort of be worse in very crowded, concentrated areas. Mm. And it sounds strange, but if you've got one of the little handheld vacuum cleaners (gasps) on a dry day (laughs) when it's not raining early in the morning because they're sluggish, go out, have it ready and then flick the bush and as they all swarm up as in the air as they do suck them up into the vacuum cleaner Organic Pearl, pearls Organic of wisdom. You <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> your neighbours will think you odd, but you know, that's oh, they fine. already think that it's okay. <laughs>
0: and look, I, I love your newsletter that you put out uh, from Green Life. So, if listeners would like to become members, it's all free, obviously, and they can access your monthly newsletter. It's very informative. I love having a read through. All you have to do is go to greenlifesoil.com.au and become uh, members and uh, access great information every month of what to do. Uh, coming going forward and all the little different things that are going on out there in the garden world I like it
5: thank you Linda for kicking off the show covering covering for you Faye and next week next week you're away no next week I'm here we're talking about begonias oh is it the week after you're away oh I go away on Sunday I see
0: okay I'll keep I'll catch up eventually and we're talking begonias
5: yes next week cannot
0: cannot wait okay look thanks everyone thanking Bev and John of course my gardenism for the morning is I've got two because it's the last autumn show so I have to spoil myself listeners probably already all dong me on the head about autumn autumn carries more gold in its pocket than all the other seasons and autumn the year's last loveliest smile Okay, leave you holding those thoughts. George Minoldi is next with the classic 60s. It's been a nice morning, lots of information, lots of different things to talk about. Take care, everyone. Enjoy this rain and happy gardening. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.